Welcome to Ride Underground. You found us. This is a place where we hear from instigators who are changing the world with disruptive and emerging technologies. I'm your host, Tom Snyder, Executive Director of Riot, and welcome to the program. Today, our studio extends across the Atlantic. Couldn't be more excited to have David McKay from InfluxDB here. David, welcome to the program. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So Influx has been a partner of Riot for a number of years. Help our audience first to understand a little bit about Influx, and then we're going to ask a little bit about you. So Influx Data is the company that is the primary sponsor of InfluxDB. InfluxDB is a time series database. Now, I love explaining what time series is because it's fundamentally any piece of data that has a timestamp. And there are a few narrow scopes that we think about that, especially as developers or operations or data scientists, but I want to cast a very wide net here. So when you walk down the street and you know there's a gyroscope in your phone that is tracking all of your steps. When you go to your bed, there is a light detector on your phone. There is audio check detecting when you're snoring. And the gyroscope, again, detecting when you roll over. All of these things are events that happen in the physical world. And because they're events that happen in the physical world, they have a time stamp attached to it. So much so that our phone can actually give us an indication of how we can sleep better by giving us tips and informing us of when we snore, when we roll over, and a whole bunch of other things. And even something as simple as your step counter walking down the street. And InfluxDB as a time series database is the ideal place to store these events because it provides a whole bunch of tools that allows you to build aggregates and cumulative sums about that data to inform and drive decisions across anything that has that kind of data. So I, I like to go with the wide casting net rather than just talking about monitoring or observability and IoT. Like time series is literally all around us everywhere we go. We all are going through the same time continuum, I suppose. So it's a great place to start and a baseline from. So thanks for that. Uh, how did you get into this space? What pulled you into this uh, time series data world? A uh, happy accident, I guess, really. So <laughs> um, I've been very active and prominent in the container ecosystem. I'm an early adopter of Docker, working on Kubernetes. Uh, and just through my, my exposure to those communities, I began speaking at events. And just got really lucky to bump into you know, a few people that were telling me all about this awesome company called Influx Data, who were building a time series database in Go. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I like monitoring. You know, It's a very challenging and difficult thing, at least in the Kubernetes landscape, to monitor a cluster to keep it healthy. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And I see that as an opportunity to learn a new tool to make that part of my career easier. And I ended up being my career. They actually brought me on board. I moved over to the company. I got just happy timing, happy accident. That's great. And because this is just an audio program, we do like to allow our listeners to have a better picture of who it is that they're hearing from, who's this expert. And uh, the hope is that one day, the great work that Influx Data is doing is going to be documented in some kind of a a documentary. Who would you choose to play you in that uh, documentary so that our listeners can have a better picture of who's on the other end of the transatlantic mic. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'll clarify up front that I am a stereotypical Scottish person. I have red hair. I have a red beard. You know, I've got my funny accent coming across with my wonky teeth. So, you know, I'm checking so many boxes already. But in a movie context, I would have to say probably Michael Shanks. And there probably won't be a lot of people who know who that is. Um, but I'm a huge Stargate fan. And Michael Shanks played one of the key characters in that, Daniel Jackson. And I love his job. He was an archaeologist that traveled through space. Like, Perfect. Sign me up. So yeah, I'd want Michael Shanks to play me. 
That's fantastic. I believe you're our first Michael Chanks in the program's history. So uh, welcome to you. Very cool. So your baseline time series data, what makes for a good time series database? If, if somebody is thinking, oh, I have an application where, yes, I'm, I'm collecting all this information. It is really important to have this context. How do I think about how to engage and what are the kind of functions or features that I should be uh, looking out for? I'll definitely speak from my influx experience here, but there, there seems to be two categories of, of time series database. There are those that allow you to store unaggregated event-based data, of which InfluxDB is one of those. And there are some time series databases that only allow you to store pre-aggregated metric-based time series data. Now, depending on your use case, one of them is going to be really good and one of them is going to be really bad, or at least more costly. So if you're doing really simple monitoring of like Linux-based systems, then storing the raw event-based data Probably not a requirement, and you can get away with pre-aggregated data. What do I mean by pre-aggregated data? Uh, if we take a look at the Linux system CPU load, it comes across as an integer that is calculated over five, uh, 1, 5, and 15 minutes. Now, in a pre-aggregated world, that tells us everything that we need to know, and we know that if the number gets too high, more than the cores on our system, then we have to scale that system, and we can do reactive operations. However, there's a lot of fundamental events that happen to give you that load average figure. And I'm probably going to go into too much detail here, but the Linux CPU load average is the number of instructions sent to the CPUs divided by the number of cores that you have to handle those requests. So it's a queue. Now, there may be some situations where actually understanding which instructions are coming to the CPU and which, uh, which processes on the machine are sending it. And there's a lot of detail there that allows you to do more proactive operations. So it's very costly to store all those raw, raw events. So you have to make that decision up front. I got a little bit sidetracked there. So yeah, there's pre-aggregated metrics, which are very valuable for doing reactive operations. But the minute you want to make that pivot to proactive operations, you have to store the unaggregated data. Um, and using an event store like InfluxDB is more important for that. That makes sense. And so latency is really important in some applications. It's not as important in other applications. And a lot of times, you know exactly what that data means up front. And sometimes you don't know what the data means in, until later, right? So walk us through maybe an example or two of you know, how maybe your clients have, have used your tools and it's, it's made a profound difference for them. So, I mean, in fact, I'll speak from my own experience without going into a client examples. Um, and before I joined InfluxDB, I mean, I've, I've you know, worked many roles, but I was an SRE for a very large dating application in Europe. And one of their biggest challenges was always scale. Um, you could never really predict the, kind of what was going on in the economy, which surprisingly had a very large effect on how busy their application was. You know, when people aren't leaving the house for whatever reason, in fact, just now is a really good example. We are dealing with the COVID thing. Um, you know, when people aren't leaving their house, they're becoming a lot more reliant on you know, the virtual world and dating applications to you know, meet people and have conversations and all of that. And it's very difficult for them to be able to work out where their ceiling is within their infrastructure in order to scale that. And using something like InfluxDB allows them to store the trends in the way that people access their application over multiple years to be able to build really smart, predictive analytics on how much scale they're going to need to handle certain events moving forward. And are they then managing that scale in real time? 
Oh yeah, definitely. So you can actually use um, you know queries against your TSDB, pulling in metrics from alternative sources to correlate that with the time series data that you have available to you. So then try and understand which external effects are going to actually change the way that you need to scale very quickly. Because scale is everything. And to draw another experience from my past, I was also uh, the director of technology for a very large media company in the UK. And we used to put out, it was like a magazine on the web, I guess, a news site. But we focused mostly on rock and metal news. And we used to have all these doomsday scenarios in our head. Like, if this happens, then we're going to have to be able to scale from one server to 10 servers to 1,000 servers. And we tried to kind of go, these are the things that would pivot this. And our doomsday scenario was always, what if Lemmy dies? It happened. It happened. We were like, oh, what do we do in this case? And it happened. And it's like nothing we could have done. Even though we had this doomsday, we're going to need all of these servers to handle this load. We couldn't actually, we didn't have enough data to predict which artists were going to share this article. And we went from having, you know, 100 or 200 hits per second on our website to nearly half a million in under an hour. And for a you know, relatively well-known publication, you have no idea who the influencers are that are going to share that article. So we had a doomsday scenario. We had all the best data in the world that we thought we could predict the scale. And even then, we still got caught out by external factors. And it's only by correlating those external factors to the data that you have and understand, you can then begin to do real-time scaling. That's really, really interesting. I think everyone that's listening right now is aware of something probably in the last week that has gone viral in some way and has created you know, a massive change in scale to whatever that thing was. Uh, just, it seems like that's the nature to some degree of, of our internet technologies. But we see it quite a bit in the IoT space as well. And, and Influx Data does quite a bit of work in, in IoT. What are some of the trends that you're seeing right now that are driving more and more interest and adoption of your technology? So IoT has always been a, a large vertical that InfluxDB is, is catered for. You know, a lot of people are using sensification and edge devices to, you know, like farming is a really good example. A lot of people have sensors on farms. They're monitoring like the millimeter raindrops and the humidity and the temperature in order to get the best out of their crop. That pattern is actually really quickly moving into your traditional Linux system administrator roles as well. The problem is, is that in order to scale these systems more effectively, people have realized that they can't just get by on the memory and the CPU load averages from a Linux machine anymore. It just doesn't work, right? We have too many external factors. Uh, so what they're trying to do is now to add as much context to the events as possible so that they can understand their systems themselves as well as anything else as a contributing effect. And that multitude of data, especially around the cardinality argument, becomes super expensive to store. And what people are now trying to do, although it's still relatively early, is to push that to the edge as much as possible. So we're not just seeing the centralized concept of a monitoring system anymore, but we're actually seeing monitoring pushed out to be a decentralized system that is then centrally located for longer-term analysis. And this idea that you would actually run, using Kubernetes as an example, run Telegraph or InfluxDB as a sidecar next to every component in your application is the way that we can actually handle that data without pushing it centrally but without pushing it to a central location all the time. So that's really interesting because without any question, we are seeing a trend towards more and more happening at the edge. And it sounds like you can help whether someone's doing something in a more traditional way of aggregating you know, all their analytics intelligence to the cloud or out to the edge, even in real time kind of managing that decision process on where are you doing things for a particular use case in a particular load at a given time. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I mean, we're just collecting more and more data, and we don't want to push that over the over the cables. We don't want to store it anywhere. It, processing it, it get, becomes exceptionally difficult. So, yeah, doing as much of that as we can in these edge locations is definitely the way forward. Very cool. What's next for Influx? Where do you see maybe some of the the greatest new opportunities? So there's a few really cool things that are happening with regards to Flux, which is a query language that InfluxDB is working on, and within our core collection agent called Telegraph. So I'll start with, with Flux. So Flux initially started as a language for querying time series data that allowed us to do things that wasn't possible with InfluxQL previously, um, such like you know math across measurements, particular filtering rules, etc. But what we've actually found is that as that language has evolved, it's become more, or at least leading towards being more a general purpose data language than a, a language for querying InfluxDB on its own. So that is actually being used now, or at least there are tests in place to use that as a processor within Telegraph itself, so that you can have Telegraph act as a proxy or an edge collector, have Flux running as a processor to filter and aggregate and do all a dynamic sampling of all of that data before you push that to the central location. And even with Telegraph itself, you know, I'm definitely trying to push Telegraph to new boundary and to, for new use cases that it hasn't been used before, like with special compilation for Docker containers that allows it to be under you know, 4 meg in size, whereas previously it was 60 or 70 or 80 meg, which gives us the new ability to run that on really small ARM devices and other onboard machines. So Telegraph can be deployed at scale. Um, the general consensus with Telegraph is you run one, two, three max per machine or even per cluster. And I'm trying to get that number up to hundreds. I want people to run hundreds of telegraphs with a Flux processor and all of this edge computational sampling to really allow them to enhance and leverage all of that data before they push it to any central location. So those are the two main things for me. And, and just one more thing on top of the telegraph news there is that telegraph size has been an issue for the last 12 months. And there's some really new, really cool new plugin developments that allow you to actually have external plugins, which is very cool too. So you can actually write small binaries or small scripts that can be you know, as small as a few bytes in size, output metrics in whatever format you want, and Telegraph can consume them for you even though it's not necessarily running that code itself. Great. Thank you for that. So tell us about how the world has changed at all for you just in the last few months. I know a number of the Influx team, uh, yourself I believe included, you know, have already been working remote. Are you finding customer engagement has significantly changed or user adoption of your tools has significantly changed just due to the macroeconomic conditions around COVID and other things? So there's definitely a lot of changes happening right now. I mean, I'll start with the one that's kind of front and center for myself. Um, I joined Influx Data uh, January 2019. And in my first 12 months of that company, I traveled to 42 events. So that's a lot of events, a lot of time in airports and hotels. And even just in the last six months, I think I've been to two. So... Yeah. <laughs> Um, my role has, has changed drastically in that regard. And I know, and I think a little bit for the better, as much as I miss you know, the hallway track of being at events, talking to people, going over their use cases and helping them and stuff, being able to then take my energy and apply it in an online first content scenario, you know, focusing on support forums, focusing on social media, focusing on articles and demos means that my content is now being consumed by a lot more people. But I've lost that human interaction, that relationship part of the role that I'm building. And I find that's a little bit challenging. I also struggle with the fact that a lot of conferences are going virtual now. And it's really difficult 
to sit and present for 45 to 50 minutes and have no faces staring back at you to know if they're getting what you're saying. They want you to slow down. They want you to go faster. They want you just to get to the point and show the code. I don't know. Like, ah. So I find that really challenging. But it's definitely, I think it's almost a new norm and something I'm going to have to get used to. Uh, With regards to the way that we deal with, with customers, I don't think that has changed drastically. We're very fortunate that the industry that we are in, technology, isn't being... There's not too much disruption right now, I don't think, because it's still relatively early. Um, you know, it's not like we have brick and mortar stores or people are not able to leave the house anymore. Um, it's just people are working remote. Developers are still contributing code online. Um, I did actually put a whole bunch of popular GitHub repositories through InfluxDB and graph the contributions over the last year. And there is a small decline, but the decline is really not as big as I was expecting to see with how prominent COVID has been across our entire world, especially for the last four months. So I think it's an industry that's not changed too much, but the focus on online first content is exciting and challenging at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting. We are also an event producer ourselves. We ran over 90 events through Riot in 2019 and have pivoted everything to virtual. And, and we're still learning as we go as well. And we're finding really exciting things. For example, our, our accelerator program, we're working with a number of founders who've recently had children that have said you know, they couldn't have participated in an in-person program and taking care of you know, newborn children at the same time. And they can do that now. But there's been some loss of fidelity as well, I think, in terms of kind of the depth of conversation that you have that maybe you lose face-to-face. And so we're still adjusting as well. But glad to hear that things are, are progressing and you're seeing some success and, and actually quite a bit of traction still in the tools that you work with and the, and the customers that you support. Are there, I guess, any last words that you'd like to share from what you've learned with uh, folks about what are the best ways to engage influx data if they haven't found you before or to learn a little bit more about why they might be, might should use time series databases in their day-to-day work? Well, yeah, I think there's so much time series data around Everywhere. And I think even people that maybe listen to us who happenstance that aren't developers or engineers can start to think about the, the data of the timestamps, even in the physical world that surrounds them. And then there's always a use case, even for hobby projects, leverage and time series data, even for your garage, your homebrew, whatever you're doing, you know, if your vegetable crops that you've got in the garden, there's still a lot you can do to improve that process. I've even tried using time series data to improve my cooking, and my cooking is still awful, but the data was still interesting. So I think. If you want to engage and use time series data, you want to speak to Influx, then just use the hashtag InfluxDB on Twitter. I stalk that thing like wildfire. Like I don't think anyone goes more than six hours without a reply from me. And we also have our forums. We have our Slack. You can find all of that on InfluxData.com. And I'm on Twitter at Rockhood. Even if you just want to reach out to me in DMs, they're open. I'm always happy to spend time with someone and try and help them use time series data for something cool. Well, fantastic. Thanks again for joining us today on The Underground. Good luck going forward, and I can't wait to speak to you again. Thank you very much. Hi, y'all. Caroline Griffin here, dropping in to say thanks for listening. And if you have any questions for Riot, send me a note. You may reach me at caroline at riot.org. This Riot Underground podcast is created and produced by Riot Studios with music by Scott Jackson. Riot is a nonprofit focused on economic development through the Internet of Things or IoT. We produce events, conferences, and educational courses around the world. And we run an early stage startup accelerator out of Riot Labs in Raleigh, North Carolina. 
Our nonprofit also operates a wireless test and certification facility under the Wireless Research Center brand. Learn how to engage by visiting us at riot.org.